America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is The Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. Any day is a great day as long as war stays away. That's at least what many Americans believe. Uh, John Bolton, former ambassador to the U.N., uh, former national security advisor to President Trump, uh, believes that uh, there are worse things than war in uh, the Ukraine area. So what would those be and what can the United States do to avoid them? We'll be speaking to Ambassador Bolton uh, coming up uh, this hour on The Michael Medved Show. We're also going to be talking about the great debate about our electoral system, our changes that are being proposed on a bipartisan basis on the Electoral Count Act, are they an assault on the Constitution or is this an attempt to defend the Constitution by people who would actually shred it? We will address that debate on the Medved Show. We'll also take a look at uh, the unspoken issue that will probably emerge again before Election Day. Why? Because it's such a positive issue, it seems to me, for Republicans who are rightly skeptical and more, more than skeptical, negative on the whole idea of paying reparations based upon race-based crimes that occurred uh, 100 years ago or 200, 300 years ago. Uh, reparations appropriate to be a theme for Black History Month. One museum says so. We will address that on the Michael Medved Show. And also a headline that has a punchline to it somewhere, but we will get to that. NFL Cowboys paid cheerleaders $2.4 million. Now, this was, not the, uh, <laughs> this was not their normal pay. I mean, it's great to be an NFL cheerleader, and you have to have a lot of talent and a lot of health and a lot of charisma and all that. But $2.4 million for four cheerleaders, that's a lot of money. So what is the story there? We will provide that as well. And uh, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, the Oscars people, with Oscars coming up, are extraordinarily worried because of the 10 films, and there are 10 of them, that are nominated for Best Picture. And they're all playing right now, trying to take advantage of their Oscar status. None of them even reached $1 million over the weekend. Is this uh, an indication of the movie industry being broken? Well, they finally made a decision about a host for the Oscar ceremony. For the first time in three years, they're actually going to have a host for the ceremony. Who is it? We'll let you know. That same individual has actually joined a whole bunch of stars uh, actually pledging money to a candidate for the U.S. Senate who is one of the most radical candidates on the ballot anywhere. Who is it? And now it's not Beto O'Rourke. Uh, though uh, with the Texas primaries coming up, he's very much on people's minds. It's somebody else, and we will get to that on The Medved Show. 1-800-955-1776 is our phone number. Secretary Antony Blinken, the Secretary of State of the United States, the leading figure in the Biden cabinet, went today to the United Nations. And he said a couple of things that are 
potentially important regarding the prospect of war in Ukraine. Uh, here is the way that uh, Secretary Blinken began his remarks. It's on clip one. I'm mindful that some have called into question our information, recalling previous instances where intelligence ultimately did not bear out. But let me be clear. I am here today not to start a war, but to prevent one. The information I presented here is validated by what we've seen unfolding in plain sight before our eyes for months. And uh, again, that information has to do with the Russians. Well, remember, there were reports yesterday that they were withdrawing some troops. Uh, they may not be true. Uh, they may actually be mounting more troops on the border. And uh, uh, Blinken also uh, went forward with a, something that the United States has said before, which is about the possibility of Russia trying to manufacture an excuse for war. One of the reasons that the United States is saying this in advance is to emphasize the idea that this is not a war of necessity for Russia. Russia is not under threat. It is a war of choice. And that's what he emphasizes here, clip two. Russia plans to manufacture a pretext for its attack. This could be a violent event that Russia will blame on Ukraine or an outrageous accusation that Russia will level against the Ukrainian government. We don't know exactly the form it will take. It could be a fabricated so-called terrorist bombing inside Russia, the invented discovery of a mass grave, a staged drone strike against civilians, or a fake, even a real, attack using chemical weapons. Russia may describe this event as ethnic cleansing or a genocide making a mockery of a concept that we in this chamber do not take lightly, nor do I take lightly, based on my family history. In the past few days, Russian media has already begun to spread some of these false alarms and claims to maximize public outrage, to lay the groundwork for an invented justification for war. Today, that drumbeat is only intensified in Russia's state-controlled media. Okay, um, when he refers to his family history, Secretary Blinken's uh, stepfather uh, was a Holocaust survivor, and he was very much raised with that consciousness. And then he says, uh, Secretary Antony Blinken, Secretary of State, clip three. There's another choice Russia can still make if there's any truth to its claim that is committed to diplomacy. Diplomacy is the only responsible way to resolve this crisis. An essential part of this is through implementation of the Minsk agreements, the subject of our session today. There are a series of commitments that Russia and Ukraine made under Minsk, with the OSCE and the Normandy format partners involved as well. If Russia is prepared to sit with the Ukrainian government and work through the process of implementing these commitments, our friends in France and Germany stand ready to convene senior-level discussions in the Normandy format to settle these issues. Ukraine is ready for this, and we stand fully ready to support the parties. Okay, uh, is, is there a chance? I mean, everybody knows there's a chance for war. I remember that uh, that song during the Vietnam era, all we are saying is give peace a chance. 
Well, it wouldn't be exactly peace, but all that we are saying is give diplomacy a chance. And does it have a real chance in the current environment? Uh, there's also more discussion, by the way. A, a brave soul who comes up and says it's ridiculous to say that the United States is on the point of civil war. This from an extreme liberal. Uh, we will get to that. Uh, we will also be speaking, coming right up to Ambassador John Bolton about war and peace and the direction and the right and healthy direction for U.S. foreign policy. Uh, by the way, the, the news on COVID right now, despite the fact that they're releasing all kinds of restrictions, the news on the number of people who uh, are actually contracting the disease is not encouraging. It's, in fact, alarming. And uh, meanwhile, in Canada, uh, there, when people talk about a civil war, the war over the truckers breaks out in the Canadian Parliament. We'll play you some highlights and lowlights of those exchanges. It's a busy day and a day when there is more desperation on the part of Democrats who are seeing more and more of their members retire and fewer and fewer prospects of actually winning the election coming up this November. That and all much more coming up on the Medved Show, but first with Ambassador John Bolton, our very special guest. Stay tuned. Medved show, there are some voices that have been raised in Congress and elsewhere among prominent commentators, most of them, by the way, conservative Republicans, saying that, uh, look, we're making a mistake to focus all of this attention on Ukraine and its perils when the real danger to the United States is China. Uh, not so fast, says Ambassador John Bolton, because Russia and China have formed what is called an entente. They uh, have formed a, a close alliance that may have the power to last. So what should the United States do? Uh, Ambassador John Bolton is the author of the best-selling and very readable book, The Room Where It Happened, a White House memoir. He was national security advisor to President Trump. He was a, a prime foreign policy and security advisor to President Bush and our ambassador to the United Nations. Ambassador Bolton, thanks for joining us. Uh, so why are, are people wrong? Why are people wrong in, in basic terms who say we should be paying less attention to Ukraine and more attention to China? Right. Well, they're half right in the sense that China is going to be the existential threat the United States faces in the 21st century. Where they're wrong is in saying that we can therefore essentially disregard or substantially downgrade the other threats. The U.S. just over time has not paid as much attention as it should to the threats we face in a lot of areas around the world. It's obsessed with identity politics domestically and uh, wealth redistribution rather than wealth creation. 
But the fact is, when the United States is challenged, historically it has risen to the challenge, and we can do it here. And to ignore a threat in Ukraine because we're worried about Taiwan, which we should be worried about, is an invitation to Russia to interfere in Ukraine and an invitation to China to interfere in Taiwan. It gives us the worst of both worlds if it looks like we can't pay attention. Well, paying attention, uh, do you believe that at the moment uh, that as many people have suggested, including people very high in the Biden administration, that war between Russia and Ukraine is inevitable? No, I don't think it's inevitable. I, th I think it's certainly possible. I don't think uh, Putin puts 150,000 troops, as, by the way, Biden admitted uh, yesterday, raising the estimate uh, that had previously been lower than that. He doesn't put those troops there unless he's prepared to use them if, if it's in his interest to do so. But nobody should discount the threat. But I think Putin is a more creative strategist. I think he's looking to see what the maximum advantage he can get, ranging from uh, deepening splits and problems within NATO to uh, pushing NATO back from Russia's frontiers to taking uh, action to reacquire another piece of the former Soviet Union that may be a shell game with Ukraine, down to taking not all of Ukraine, but only part of it. I think he, Putin has the initiative and the momentum. I think we're reacting. I think it's a mistake to say, as uh, Senator Murphy of Kentucky, uh, sorry, of Connecticut has been saying that Putin's operating from a position of weakness. He is not. He's operating from a position of strength. We're the ones who are uncertain and reactive. And, and Putin is just going to do the best he can to get as much as he can and keep the cost down. Um, and what uh, should the United States be prepared to offer if anything, uh, for the sake of uh, reaching some kind of uh, agreement on Ukraine? Well, I don't, I don't think we should offer anything, because I think this is Putin doing something that's fundamentally illegitimate. And, uh, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's a master at creating a crisis uh, and, and then saying to obtain objectives that are unacceptable to us, he will end the crisis. Uh, and at the moment, I think we're at a perilous point because uh, we've made so many mistakes here over the past several weeks that it's very hard at this point uh, to correct and, and, and to put ourselves in a position where we can achieve what we most want, which is we don't want to see Russian troops cross into Ukraine. Unfortunately, our efforts to deter Putin from doing that, I fear very much, are going to be unsuccessful because of the lack of credibility of the Biden administration, in large part by because at the beginning, Biden gave up sanctions on the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. Uh, he's admitted already in this crisis there's no chance of using uh, U.S. or NATO force, which certainly solves one of Putin's problems. And he's still, Biden is still bearing the burden of his catastrophic withdrawal from Afghanistan. So all the threats that we've made about sanctions after Russia invades the right thing to do, uh, I don't think Putin believes. I don't think our credibility is enough to deter him from, from using military force if that's what he decides to do. Is there a course of action that you would recommend, uh, given uh, the fact that it's behind the goal line, is there a course of action you'd recommend to the Biden administration that they haven't taken yet? 
Yes, I, and I think we should have done this long before, but I think that uh, imposing sanctions on Nord Stream 2 now uh, to insist that Russia not only not invade but withdraw from the places in Ukraine where it has military force illegitimately. We should have done this long ago, but it's still not too late to do it now. And uh, do you believe that that could have uh, efficacy in, in actually getting the kind of response you would want from Vladimir Putin? Well, I think what we need to do is make sure he knows he faces costs because of his illegitimate behavior. It's not simply a threat to the future, but he needs to know now that his behavior uh, is one way to do it. I, I would not have given away the possibility of the use of military force. I no, Nobody wants to get into active hostilities here. But when you give something like that away for free, uh, it just makes the cost-benefit analysis in Putin's mind that much easier. It was an unforced error by the Biden administration. And uh, let us hope that uh, other unforced errors can be avoided. Ambassador John Bolton is the author of the best-selling book, The Room Where It Happened, a White House memoir, which actually is more enjoyable than it sounds. It uh, as a, a human story involving some fairly big personalities, including the former president of the United States, Donald Trump, it is uh, a, a book very, very much worth looking at. Ambassador Bolton, I appreciate your coming on the show and uh, giving us uh, the benefit of your wisdom. The um, piece in the Wall Street Journal that uh, provokes some of these questions, Entente multiplies the threat from Russia and China. It appeared just yesterday from Ambassador John Bolton. We will be right back with more on uh, civil war in Canada? Well, in the Canadian Parliament, certainly. Uh, that and more coming up on The Medved Show. The Michael Medved Show. All across America. It's, it's dangerous for America. It's dangerous for the world. This is The Michael Medved Show. The most recent figures, and they're important figures still, uh, from Johns Hopkins University, there have been 928,519 people who have died of uh, coronavirus from COVID-19 and uh, various variants so far. And by the way, there are new indications and arguments that that may actually be understated, that uh, there are, are higher deaths than that, and they look at that by looking at the total number of deaths and some deaths that actually involved COVID-19 that may not have been counted that way. It's, it's still it's a staggering total, 78 million coronavirus cases reported in the United States. And uh, in terms of vaccine doses, there have been 548,000, but that means that 
how many Americans are fully vaccinated? Uh, 64.5%. Among adults uh, 18 or older, it's uh, 74.6%. Does that mean that COVID is over or waning or disappearing? The uh, uh, deaths from COVID uh, are compared to uh, 2021. In 2021, at this date, there were 1,707 COVID deaths. And uh, most recently, February 16th, 2022, uh, 3,306. So almost double the number of deaths. Uh, People who suggest that the COVID threat to everyone, uh, to our economy, to our way of living, to our education system, to uh, our our national unity of any kind, that that threat has not disappeared. Uh, There was today in Canada where they are beginning to use the police to remove some of the remaining trucks that are blocking things in Ottawa and causing, in the city of Ottawa, the economy to continue to grind to a halt. They are beginning to use trucks on that basis. They have opened up the border crossings. They're not interfering any further. But uh, Prime Minister Trudeau uh, spoke harshly about some of the parliamentary support that has gone to the so-called Freedom Convoy and to the activist truckers in Canada. This is the Prime Minister on the floor of a Parliament uh, uh, earlier. This is a clip six. Conservative Party members can stand with people who wave swastikas. They can stand with people who wave uh, the Confederate flag. We will choose to stand with Canadians who deserve to be able to get to their jobs, who be able to get their lives back. These illegal protests need to stop, and they will, Mr. Speaker. members, including the Honourable Right Honourable Prime Minister, to use words that are not inflammatory in the House? Okay. <laughs> uh, this is uh, the Right Honourable Prime Minister uh, running into a storm of protest. One of the uh, bases that they, they made here is when he mentioned that they were standing with people who are waving swastikas. He was looking directly at a, an MP named Melissa Lansman. Who, uh, who is Jewish, uh, and a conservative MP stood up and ripped back at the Prime Minister for his remarks. This is clip seven. I've never seen such shameful and dishonorable remarks coming from this Prime Minister. My great-grandfather flew over 30 missions over Nazi Germany. My great-great-uncle's body lies at the bottom of the English Channel. There are members of this Conservative caucus who are the descendants of victims of the Holocaust. For the Prime Minister to accuse any colleague in this House of standing with the swastika is shameful. I'm giving the Prime Minister an opportunity. I'm calling on him to unreservedly apologize for this shameful remark. 
And, uh, okay, so he was given the opportunity. Uh, what did that sound like? Uh, here is Prime Minister Trudeau's response, uh, clip eight. Canadians deserve their freedoms back. Mr. Speaker, these illegal blockades that have continued to interfere with people's livelihoods, to interfere with people's, uh, people's daily lives, uh, have... I have to interrupt the Honourable Prime Minister, so ask everyone to calm down so we can hear the answer. The Right Honourable Prime Minister. Mr. Speaker, the measures put forward in this uh, Emergencies Act are proportional, are responsible, and quite frankly, uh, are completely folded within the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. The steps that we are taking are important and measured to restore order and freedoms to Canadians in this country. That is exactly what we are doing. Okay, uh, and exactly what we are doing, the difficulty with that kind of uh, act, action that uh, Trudeau has actually um, settled on is that it only works if you have overwhelming support from the people of the country, and they don't. Uh, I, I do believe that most of the polling that they've done up in Canada shows a majority supports Trudeau and a majority supports putting an end to the protests, which have been clownish and extreme, and uh, it's unclear what they mean to accomplish. Really, it is. But uh, the the idea that... Uh, the question, which is, why are conservatives supporting uh, the truckers? Well, they aren't entirely, because it's not clear what it means to support the truckers. There are elements of this um, movement. In fact, some of the most prominent leaders in the whole Freedom Convoy are people who want to dismantle the Canadian nation, who want the Western provinces to leave altogether. But the idea that at this point, when we are close, and, and people point this out, particularly countries like Canada, they're closer than we are in terms of protecting themselves with a high rate of vaccination. They have a much higher rate of vaccination than we do. But that this should be a controversial issue. This was uh, uh, Novak Djokovic. Remember him? The great tennis star who gave up his chance to participate in the Australian Open. He has refused to get vaccinated he gave an interview and talked about why he was so refusing he um, uh, and uh, morning Joe uh, clip 11 uh, basically responded listen people are free to be as stupid as they want to be I mean it, but, but it is Jonathan Mir it is it is galling when you have somebody saying, oh, it wasn't FDA approved, and then they're doing all these other things that aren't FDA approved, uh, getting other treatments that aren't FDA approved, the, just the hypocrisy of it all. Right, and he has now fallen behind Rafael Nadal on the all-time Grand Slams list and won't be able to catch him. And he says he's concerned about the impact the vaccine would have on his body. Well, he won't have to worry about the impact of wear and tear of tennis on his body anymore. No. So he's not really going to be able to play no. unless he gets this vaccine. Okay. Uh and and again, there's also questions about Kyrie um, or Kyrie, I think he says Irving, uh, who is being 
prevented from playing in home games uh, for New York, but uh, not necessarily in away games, which makes not so much sense. There's also um, a, a resounding earthquake politically. In fact, it's being referred to as the San Francisco earthquake. What does that mean, and why did it happen? We'll get to that and more coming up on the Medved Show. And on the Michael Medved Show, uh, let us go... Uh, to a call to uh, David, who was called in from uh, Seattle. David, you're on the Medved Show. Thank you. Uh, I just uh, had a couple comments. Uh, one was I just found out last week that two people uh, from my high school uh, had died of COVID the week before. And I know that one of these women, uh, I remember making out with her in high school, and that's why it really struck me. And they were both unvaccinated. Uh, and this was from a small town over on the Olympic Peninsula in Washington. And I, I am mystified why, why people can't, well, I don't know. That's a different thing, why people don't get vaccinated. But the other comment is I went to a lecture by David Brooks so in Seattle four or five years ago. And I remember in that lecture he talked about um, when we lose civility, he, you know, he just said, when we lose civility, it seems like we lose something. And that's kind of what is happening. It seems like to me a lot of places. Um, and well, it's so shocking to hear it from Canada because Canada has has been known. Civil, exactly. Well, they're being yeah. infected by, as you know, a lot of the donation for that truckers protest has come from America. And so that's kind of encouraged them. Plus, I think in, in human nature, there is a, you know, there is a, uh, kind of a populist thing that you can come up with, I suppose, and that's kind of everywhere. If you kind of lose these guardrails that uh, kind of a, uh, keep you in check a little bit, and I think that's, uh, you know, kind of what we're losing. We're losing just a lot of, I mean, like the property crime in, in um, not just Seattle, but everywhere. You can just see most of this stuff only works because we believe it works. And once we kind of start to lose some of that belief, things can start to unravel. And um, Well, I, I, think, I, I think you're entirely correct, David. And I think we see it, and you're right, it's not just in Seattle. It's increasingly nationwide. One might even say increasingly worldwide. Uh, it, look, uh, if someone had told me at the beginning of this pandemic that this would end up uh, being a, a a deeply emotional, I mean, visceral fight over vaccines, I would have thought it, this is unthinable. There's this almost is inconceivable. No, there's no uh, almost zero cases of anybody having a bad reaction. You know, there's been I don't know how many, probably several billion people have been vaccinated now. Maybe there's like you know a hundred people or twenty people have had a bad. I mean, it's almost you don't hear about it. And so, I mean, it's it's just very unfortunate that right-wing media and Republican governors have tried to, you know, promote this sort of misinformation. 
that's really well, cost. I think it's cost hundreds of thousands of lives just in America, and probably in Brazil, hundreds of thousands or two. I, I and uh, people would shoot back and say, "Well, that's the cost of defending freedom." The 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 thing that surprises me most about this, and obviously I, I'm sympathetic to what you're saying, David, but the thing that surprises me most is that nobody draws the obvious point. We are required to get all kinds of vaccines in all kinds of settings, as in schools. And uh, some of the same people who are making a huge deal out of getting a COVID booster shot, uh, some of those same people are uh, people who are opposed to getting polio shots, uh, people like Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and again, let me point out, he is not a right-winger at all. He is an extreme liberal and a nut. And, uh, but he's opposed to every sort of vaccine. And this fear of vaccines right now, after they've changed the whole world so much for the better, is, uh, is, is just amazing. Uh, there are worldwide... Uh, people who are fully vaccinated are now 4.28 billion people. And the reports of any serious adverse reaction from those vaccines among those 4.28 billion involve a few thousand people, actually. Uh, David, appreciate your, your phone call, and I'm sympathetic to it. Here's a, um, uh, a, a, an email that came in, a message that came in from Corvallis, Oregon, and from Richard, he says, hello, Michael, just try to take away our abortion rights. Hey, just try to take away our gun rights. Hey, just try to take away our right to choose what goes in our bodies. People see all these issues as having freedom, and someone wants to take away their freedom. Your argument concerning children and vaccines proves my point. Yes, people love their children but they also can tell them what to do. Grown-ups resent any pushback when someone is perceived as taking away a freedom and telling them what to do. I uh, may disagree, and the fact that my doctor may be self-righteous, arrogant jerk, does not prevent me from obeying him or her when they give me medical advice. Also, a very wise teacher once said that you don't fight if you know you're going to lose. Now, please take that decent, wise man's advice and you will be much happier. Well, okay, I, it seems to me that's a very big argument against the truckers, against the so-called freedom convoy, against the people like uh, uh, Novak Djokovic. I, you're not going to win on this. H how do you win and what do you win if you do? Uh, let's go quickly, very quickly, to Mark in Lakewood, Washington. You're on the Medved Show. Michael, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, I do appreciate your your, um, your reasoned conversation. I, I I guess I'm at a loss because, I, I mean, we can talk about a lot of different things with the vaccine, but the vaccine, previous definitions of vaccine have all been wiped away for the purpose of this one vaccine, which does not prevent transmission of the disease, which does not prevent the disease itself, which may prevent you from dying, but it's a disease that has a, a you know, a, now we think about a 1% chance of that. I, I'm confused as to how you wouldn't 
be somewhat skeptical of the whole situation, not to mention... Well, 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 I'll, I'll tell you how I wouldn't be skeptical of it. If you look at the rate of death and hospitalization in places with heavy vaccine penetration, where most of the people are fully vaccinated, it's much less. By the way, there was just a, an item that came out yesterday, and, and we didn't get to it, but should have, which is there is now a report from the CDC and from the, uh, the Food and Drug Administration. They're recommending vaccines very strongly for pregnant women because it, it virtually eliminates the chance of a baby a small baby getting uh, the, the virus. And again, the the effects are very positive. They are basically, uh, and and again, no one's speaking up and saying, well, maybe not, maybe yes. Uh, this is very clear. There are a lot of women out there. We know some of them who are expecting. And uh, uh, it's it, well, wonderful news when that happens, of course. Uh, and wonderful news that you can actually make what should be a safe process even safer. Uh, and this idea and that uh, the email that I got, which says, uh, don't uh, fight if you know you're going to lose, uh, this is fighting for every life, which it seems to me is a, a very worthwhile principle. If you can reduce the the suffering and the danger and the infection rate of any one individual, that's an accomplishment because you put a few of those things together and it means you've made a difference for a community. And when you make a difference for a number of communities, you can make a difference for the country. And and this, by the way, is why we just were looking at this. The, the idea that the Canadian people actually support the uh, the truckers and what they are doing to the Canadian economy, to the country's self-image, to the country's international image, to the political health of all political parties in uh, in Canada, it's it's extraordinarily negative. the The idea that if you listen to some of the people talking, person on the street, uh, Canadian responses about uh, basically trashing the capital city and allowing your so-called movement to be hijacked, you know, pardon me, that's appropriate for trucking, to be hijacked by uh, extreme forces in the United States, yes, and some in Canada and elsewhere. Uh, we will talk more about that. We're also going to be talking with Matt By. He wrote this extremely controversial piece about how our political system is broken and both major parties are a disgrace. So then what? If the Republicans are no good and the Democrats are no good, the alternatives are, we'll figure it out in this greatest nation on God's green earth.